Good morning, friends. If we haven't met yet, my name is Thomas, and it's my joy to be on staff here at the church and be able to open up God's Word with us on the weekends. Uh, we just finished a long study through the book of Hebrews, which was wonderful and hopefully making you want more. Um, and then we're going to enter today in this Christmas text and Christmas Eve, and then we're going to start a new series in January. And as we're in this Christmas season, I want to ask you a question. What comes to your mind when you hear the phrase, the spirit of Christmas? What comes into your mind when you hear the phrase, the spirit of Christmas? I've been asking this question, this question all week long. And someone told me when, they, when I asked this question, what do you think of when you hear the phrase, the spirit of Christmas? They said, the ghost of Christmas past is what I think about. And maybe that's for you. I think of the ghost of Christmas past, Scrooge, uh, how they is visited multiple times through the night and all these different ghosts come. Others said, you know, when I think of the spirit of Christmas, I think about what's Christmas all about, of generosity, of gift giving, um, the spirit of Christmas being family and friends and, and festivities and fun. There's a spirit of Christmas to enjoy. Um, others have said, you know, the spirit of Christmas this year is, is rather sorrowful and I'm filled with grief because there were people that in my life were around the Christmas tree with us last year. And they're not around the Christmas tree this year. So we've lost loved ones. And so the spirit of Christmas that we're feeling is, is sorrow and loss and grief. Others said, you know, the spirit of Christmas is the thing you actually want to oppose, the spirit of consumerism, the, the, the spirit of materialism, of getting and wanting. And so you want to oppose the spirit of Christmas. But all those presuppose this. The question was, what is the spirit of Christmas? as though it's a force or a feeling or an environment. But really, we should be asking, who is the spirit of Christmas? That there's a person that is the spirit of Christmas. And the, what the, the spirit of Christmas is actually a, per, a person in the story that gets often for, forgotten about. Because there's other characters in the story of Christmas that we look at every single year. Of course, there's the main character, Jesus. And Jesus is in a manger scene with his mom, Mary, and his dad, Joseph. And there's like the supporting cast of shepherds and wise men, Herod, prophets, prophetesses. And then there's like the animal cast of, of camels and donkeys. And all neglects. The person, the Holy Spirit, that's all over the Christmas story that's just so easily forgotten about, read over, and paid no attention. And so today, what I want to do today is, is look at the Christmas story looking for the person, the Spirit of Christmas. For it is the Holy Spirit that is the powerful presence of God himself in the Christmas story that makes the impossible possible. So grab your Bible, and we're going to do, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of go throughout the Bible a little bit, and we're going to lay out a bunch of puzzle pieces. And I asked in first service, who likes doing puzzles around Christmas time? And my friend in the back said, nobody. I was like, well, then you're not going to like today. Uh, but here's the goal. I'm going to lay out a bunch of puzzle pieces, and then hopefully we'll kind of put some of these pieces together at the end. Does that sound good? So if we're going to put the puzzle pieces together of who the spirit of Christmas is, we're actually not going to start in the New Testament in the Gospels. Because the story of Christmas doesn't start with the Gospels and Jesus' arrival. 
The story of Christmas actually begins with the prophets in the Old Testament. And we're just going to look at one prophet. His name is Isaiah. And in the prophets of the Old Testament, they're always talking about God's promised rescuer. The title of this is Messiah. In the Greek, that gets translated to Christ. And all that means is it's a title for the anointed one. So when we look for God's promised Messiah, the Christ, that title is the one who is to be anointed. And the question would be anointed with what? Well, anointed by the Holy Spirit. And so Isaiah, we're going to start in chapter 11. And these are all prophetic texts, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, that talk about who Jesus is going to be born, or where Jesus is going to be born. To whom will Jesus be born? The life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus. What will Jesus do? How he will rescue his people? And in these texts that are prophetic texts, it talks about his anointing by the Holy Spirit. So chapter 11, verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. That's someone's from the household of Jesse, from the household of David. And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So there's one, just when this Messiah comes, he's going to be born in this family of David, a shoot of Jesse, he will have been anointed with the Holy Spirit. Flip to your right, go to Isaiah 42. Isaiah 42, verse 1, talking about who this chosen servant will be. It says, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, and whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. So he's going to start unpacking what this chosen servant's going to do, but it's going to be marked by this. He will have the Holy Spirit on him. All right, go one more. Isaiah 61. So flip your Bible a little bit more. Same book. The prophet says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. God's promised rescuer. Because the Lord has anointed me, to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prisons to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's speaking of his work and what he will do, all because he is anointed by the Holy Spirit. So now we'll go to the New Testament. New Testament is after Christ's arrival. It starts off with four books called the Gospels. The Gospels are just historical books eyewitnesses' accounts of talking to the community that was alive during the day of Jesus, those who loved Jesus, those who didn't love Jesus, to get an accurate account of what he did, what he said, where he went, what he accomplished. And we'll go to the Gospel of Luke. Luke records for us the text that was read for us of the birth of Jesus Christ. And he's talking about how this angel comes to Mary and says, Mary, you are chosen. You are loved by God. You're going to give birth to the Messiah, the anointed one. And like a reasonable human being, she asks, how's that possible? How's that possible? I mean, the Christmas story is so miraculous that it demands to ask questions. And so Mary says, I'm betrothed, means I'm like engaged to my husband, but we haven't come together yet as a married couple. How am I going to have a baby? Is it going to be like Abraham and Sarah? How you're going to just miraculously do something special? Is there going to be a special baby that comes from us that's anointed? And the angel says, no, something totally different than that. 
And so the Holy Spirit, this is verse 34, Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And this is where you get really sideways in your theology and start thinking that Jesus was just a human being that was anointed by God, declaring him to be the Son of God. But God has revealed to us from the beginning to the end that he's a God that is three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One and yet distinctly three. And so Jesus has always been the eternally existing full God, full divine from the beginning. The Holy Spirit anointing here, the work of the Holy Spirit is to recognize who Jesus is as fully God and fully man. This is an incredible miracle that God would be with us. You're going to name him Emmanuel. Emmanuel meaning God, God himself with us, that God would come and dwell with us, not remain far or aloof, but would enter into the real life lived of his people. This is the same news that Joseph gets. So Joseph doesn't get a totally different message. So Joseph also is probably confused. Why is my wife pregnant? And so if you go to the other gospel, Matthew, the first one in the New Testament, chapter one, starting in verse 18, it says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Why is Joseph going to divorce her quietly? It's because she's pregnant. And in the culture of the day, this is great shame on Joseph. And so Joseph has some questions. How are you pregnant, Mary? Verse 20, but as he considered these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus' mission is to save us from us from our sins. That's his mission. And it's the mission that no human being could do. It's only God himself that could do this. And so God has come by the power of the Holy Spirit. So who is the spirit of Christmas? It is the powerful presence of God that makes the impossible possible. Now we look at this story and think, okay, is that it? Just kind of like gets things going? Is he just part of the birth? No, he's actually continues to be part of the whole narrative. So let's go back to Luke. And as we continue to read, there's this other story that's kind of sown in with Jesus' story of, of a relative of, of a woman named Elizabeth who's barren in her womb. She's an older woman. And she's married to a man named Zachariah. And Zachariah is like a prophet, a religious leader of the day. And, and the Holy Spirit's working in their life as well to bring about this man named John the Baptist who would prepare the way. And so in chapter one, verse, this isn't on the screen, but in chapter 1, verse 41, Mary goes and visits Elizabeth. And it just says that, and when they came together, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Zechariah, who didn't even think this was possible, God said, okay, well, you can't talk anymore. So you're not going to speak for a while. So until John is born, you're going to be mute. And then when John is born, they say, well, what shall we call this boy? And Zechariah writes on a card, you're going to name him John. 
And when he writes that down, check out verse 67, his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and began prophesying, saying the things that God had told him. See, the Holy Spirit's work is all over the Christmas narrative. Maybe we've just missed it before because of the characters that we've preferred to pay attention to. And not only does it stop, does, doesn't stop there, it continues on. And so Mary and Joseph take Jesus up to the temple because part of the religious law was that you would come and present a firstborn son and present a sacrifice there at the temple. And so you check out verse, or go over to um, chapter two and look at verse 25. Mary and Joseph at the temple with Jesus. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Let's wait for Messiah. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, the Lord's anointed one. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him, according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. See, what's happening is Jesus is not something new on the scene. Jesus is something that's fulfilled of old, that he's coming just as the word of God promised, that Jesus came according to the scriptures. And one of the marks of Jesus is that the Holy Spirit would anoint him. And what you see from the prophets and his birth and the beginning of his life is that the Holy Spirit, the powerful presence of God, is all over the story. Perhaps we just didn't have eyes to see it before. Now the question is, does it end there? So the Holy Spirit kind of gets things going, and then it's on to Jesus now. Well, now Jesus will do his ministry by his own power, because surely he's the son of God himself. But the writer records for us that the Holy Spirit continues with Jesus. Every turn and mark of the way. So flip over one more chapter. Let's go to chapter three. Here we talk about his baptism. John had said, you know, I'm baptizing you with water. People are coming out for water baptism. There's, one's, there's somebody coming. I, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. And he's going to do a deeper baptism, not with water, but with the Spirit. And what we see is that's how his baptism goes. Chapter 3, verse 21. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus had been baptized and was praying, the heavens opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven saying, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Again, the Holy Spirit with Jesus. Doesn't end there, chapter four. So just go to the next chapter over, chapter four, verse one. It says, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, that's where he was baptized, and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. That the Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness, and we had more time to study this. This is a beautiful passage in which Jesus parallels the 40 years in the wilderness, but everywhere where Israel was faithless, Jesus for 40 days is faithful. He's the faithful promised Messiah. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. And then after the wilderness, he returns back to town 
Verse 14, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. Verse 16, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on Sabbath day. It's like going to church on Sunday. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. So someone's going to read the scriptures. And someone hands to him the prophet Isaiah. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Where did we just read that? Hundreds of years before him in Isaiah 61, this is what the Messiah would come to do, the one anointed for this task. And then in verse 21, he says, and he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. I'm the one that all the prophets have talked about. I'm the one from the beginning that was promised. I'm the one who's come to set the world right. My name is Jesus who will forgive his people of their sins. What makes Jesus Jesus in part isn't just simply that he's the son of God, but the Holy Spirit, the powerful presence of God has anointed him from his birth, his baptism into his ministry. And we could keep going on if we had time. Theologians have spent so much time looking at how the Holy Spirit works with Jesus in his miracles, upon his death, on his resurrection, into his glory powerful presence of God with Jesus every step of the way. There's a great theologian who's named, uh, Scottish theologian, uh, Sinclair Ferguson. Sorry, I just spaced the name. Sinclair Ferguson, who just puts it all together by saying, for from womb to the tomb to the throne, the spirit was the constant companion of the son. Like every mark was the powerful presence of God in his birth, baptism, ministry, death, resurrection, and glory. And the question you're probably asking is, why are we spending so much time on that when we could be talking about the Christmas story of Jesus in a manger scene with the donkeys and wrapped in swaddling cloth Why are you talking about the Spirit? The Spirit is so much mystery to us. I mean, if you're going to talk about Christmas, around Christmas time, there's visitors to the church. Talk about sweet baby Jesus, man. Not the Holy Spirit. It's this. This is why. Because Christmas can feel so far and foreign to us. We celebrate Jesus, God with us, Emmanuel. But he was with us in Bethlehem in Nazareth, in Galilee, in Israel, 2,000 years ago. How is that good news for me? That just seems like such a foreign story that I'm living in Erie, Colorado, that I have a hard time connecting with God with them, really. We have to understand that Jesus came, God with us, as a gift to us that he might bring another gift. 
that God sent his only son because he loved the world, that God would come be with us. And then through the work and ministry and victory of Christ, God gives another gift, his spirit, not to be with us, but to be in us, to dwell in us. And so I want to show you briefly that at the same Holy Spirit that did the impossible at Christmas, the same Holy Spirit, which is the Son's companion, every step of the way is the same Holy Spirit that's a part of our miraculous new birth, It's part of our baptism, immersion into the family of God. That's part of our life. That will be part of our resurrection and the way in which we experience glory. A couple more puzzle pieces for you, since I know you love puzzles. John chapter three, another gospel writer, eyewitness account of the life of Jesus. These concepts are a mystery. And one of the teachers of Israel, one of the most learned scholars of the day is a man named Nicodemus. And he comes to Jesus and says, just how does this thing work? How does someone get into the kingdom of God? How does someone get saved? And Jesus tells him he has to be born again. And Nicodemus is like, what? How can someone who's grown up like me be born again? How do I get back into my mother's womb, Nicodemus asks, to be born again? And Jesus is like, oh man, you're a teacher in Israel. And he says this, Chapter three, verse five, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I've said to you, you must be born again. For someone to be brought into the family of God, a miraculous birth has to happen, Jesus says. From above, the same Holy Spirit who miraculously has a birth in a virgin is the same Holy Spirit that miraculously, I don't get how it works. I can't do it for you. I can't do it for me. Gives a rebirth to someone to belong to the family of God. And that same spirit we'll see is the same spirit of baptism as the work of the Holy Spirit to immerse. That's what the word baptize means, to immerse you into the family of God. This was the great gift that Jesus told his disciples about. You're in John chapter three. Flip over to John chapter 14. John 14, Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure because Jesus is going to raise from the tomb and then he's going to go ascend to the father. And if you're a disciple, you're like, this is bad news. Jesus, who's been with us, is leaving us. And Jesus says, settle down. It's better that I go. This is good news that I go. For if I go... The Father and I are going to send the Holy Spirit to be with you. John chapter 14, verse 16. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, to help you. As the Spirit was upon me in my ministry, the Spirit of God will be with you in your life, to be with you forever, never to depart from you. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he he dwells with you and will be in you. How did the disciples know the Holy Spirit? Well, because the Holy Spirit was with Jesus, dwells with you. The Holy Spirit that's on Jesus is dwelling with them. And he says, but this is the good news. Jesus was with a particular people in a particular location at a particular time. 
Jesus said, it's so much better. God's heart for us, for humanity, is so much greater than that. He wants to put his powerful presence to dwell in you. Every person would experience what the disciples experienced, God with them. And so he says, in my departure, we have another gift to give. God's a gift-giving God. I'm going to give you my spirit to dwell within you for your whole life. And this counselor is going to be the counselor that teaches you, that counsels you, that comforts you, that strengthens you, that upholds you. It's going to produce fruit in you, as we'll see. And then we'll resurrect you. One more, one more passage here in Romans. Go flip over to your Bible to Romans chapter 8. Paul's talking about the powerful work of this spirit that Jesus promised to dwell in us. Romans chapter 8, verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, so time out, how Jesus raised from the dead, the powerful work of the Holy Spirit. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, yes, he does, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The same spirit, powerful presence of God, at Jesus' birth, baptism, ministry, death, and resurrection, lives in you, Christian. And the same spirit who rose Christ from the dead will raise you from the dead. That's the work of the spirit in your life. Not impressed yet, huh? All right, one more. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. It's great that the spirit gives us new life, dwells in us. But he's also going to bring us to glory. He's going to change us. Chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians, verse 17, says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Just pause there for a second. The Spirit is the Lord, the Lord is the Spirit. Where that exists, where God exists in someone's life, there is freedom. You want to experience real freedom? to break habits that have enslaved you, to break away from things that you have done, guilt and shame, and to walk away from it so it no longer impacts you, to experience freedom from harm and abuse that's happened to your life, so you experience newness of life. Where the Lord is, there is freedom, real freedom. And we all, he says, with unveiled faces. This is talking about Moses and some Old Testament reference of how Moses got to behold God face to face. He got to see God face to face. So we see God face to face now. We don't need an interpreter for us. We don't need a priest for us. We're like beholding God face to face. Beholding the glory of the Lord and being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. I get it's mystery. How is it that we are changed? It is as we look at God, we look to him, as we share the Christmas stories, as we behold Jesus, as we look at his life and his ministry, death and resurrection, as we look into his word and we say, God, I can't believe you are this good. You're this kind. You're this right. You're this present. As we behold him, Paul tells us, the Spirit's work is to change us from one degree of glory to another degree of glory, progressively to look more and more like our Savior Jesus. 
We're talking about the fruit of the Spirit this way. The fruit of the Spirit, there's something that the fruit that the Spirit produces in our life. I was asking my kids this last few weeks, I said, okay, we're talking about the fruit of our life. So if you were to go to an orange tree, what kind of fruit would you expect to see? And they said, oranges. My kids are talented and gifted. They're in special schools. And I said, we're going to an apple tree. What kind of fruit would you expect? They knew it, apples. I said, okay, well, we go to a Christian's life. What kind of fruit would you expect to see? As though they're a tree, what do they produce? We said, well, let's look at it because the, the spirit is the, ner- is the life-giving source of the tree. And Paul tells us, you want to know what the fruit of the spirit is? You know what is produced in the Christian's life? Nine characteristics. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. They go, man, I would love to see that kind of fruit produced in my marriage, in my family, throughout my community, in the world, in its leadership. I would love to see the spirit of Christmas produce the fruit of gentleness in my husband. I would love to see The Holy Spirit produced the fruit of kindness in my wife. I would love to see the fruit of the Spirit producing self-control in my children. Honestly, I'd love to see that happen in my own life. And it's just, I'll tell you, this is my testimony of how the Lord got a hold of my life and has changed me. I run into people from time to time that I, would, I went to high school with, college with, and I, they ask me, what do you do now? And I say, I teach the Bible. And they're like, are you crazy? What happened, man? I said, the whole, God just got a hold of me. And what's being produced in me is his fruit. It's not perfect. Just talk to my wife. I am a, I'm still in progress. I say often in this room, I'm the biggest sinner in this room. But this is the power of God's presence in us to do what we think is impossible, to bring change and transformation that only God can do. And so when we think about Christmas, and I ask you, what comes to mind when you hear the spirit of Christmas? What I want you to immediately think of is, I know who that is. It's the Holy Spirit the one who was with Jesus every mark of the way. And the same Holy Spirit lives in me and is powerfully changing me from the inside out. And one day, though I die, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I will live with God forever. That's the spirit of Christmas. And then I look at Christmas and say, it wasn't 2,000 years ago in a place called Bethlehem, far, far away. I say, that same presence of God is in me, dwelling in me today, with me. I am not alone. That's what the spirit of Christmas is saying. You are not alone this Christmas, no matter what you're experiencing. Even if you're in your grief, you don't go through your grief alone. If you're in, your, in hardships, you don't go through hardships alone. If you're confused, you don't have to go through this confusion alone. God with us. It's beautiful that God is a gift-giving God. Begins with his son, with us. And then through the work and accomplishments of Christ, he gives us another gift, the spirit, to dwell in us forever. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you are a gift-giving God who loves your children. And Father, let our response to all of this be the response of Mary. I don't know how it all works. I don't know how this mystery works. I can't explain it. But may it be done to me according to your word. And so, Lord, we just, we pray that, that there's work in this room that only the powerful presence of God can do. But it's why Christ came. So, Father, I pray that the, the, the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit would, would be in marriages and families, to be in us who are single, those who are grieving, experiencing hardships. Father, I pray that you would open eyes so that people would see who you are and ears to hear the good news and respond to it. But Father, we pray that as we behold your Son, your Spirit would be changing us into a people that are marked by our love and our joy and our peace, our patience with one another, kindness and goodness that were faithful and gentle and self-controlled. Father, I pray for every woman and man in this room that as they leave today, they know that they are not alone, that you, God, are with them in the same way you are with us at Christmas. It's in your name we pray. Amen.